want to reiterate to the ladies that you want to make sure and sign up for that women's retreat. Um, Christy Rayburn and I um, have the privilege of speaking this year and excited to be together in just a few weeks. So you can sign up, as Jacob said, uh, Joseph said, um, on the app or outside. I'm sure Kate would be happy to, to talk with you today. But anyway, my name is Melinda Reed, and I'm part of the teaching team here at High Point. I'm super excited to be here today, and um, we're continuing in kind of a snapshot of Psalms that we've been doing this summer. Kevin will wrap it up next week, but today we're going to look at Psalm uh, 62, which was written as a congregational song. So just like we just did up here with with, um, Jordan leading us in worship, that is similar to how this psalm was written. It was written, those, the congregational songs are written, so we have theology in our heart and on our lips. And so when we're collectively singing together, we're proclaiming the truths of God. And that's what those were written for. And it's interesting because songs do help us remember things, don't they? Think about how we learned the ABCs. You all just started singing it in your head when I said that. We learned it from a song. Think about Jesus Loves Me or Twinkle Twinkle or those songs. And for those in my era, I have an enormous amount of my brain that is taken up with 70s music lyrics that, that I can't believe that I still know every single word to some, you know, Sticks in Boston. And I hate to say it, but I have some Barry Manilow in there too. Okay, I just lost everybody with that. Um, but anyway, this is, this is what the congregational singing was about. It was putting truth on our lips. Not that I'm comparing the 70s music to truth. Don't, don't get me wrong on that. But it's one of my favorite psalms because it declares a truth that I think will make a difference for you and I today. Uh, so a lot of you know that Greg and I made, were from Texas, but we made our way up through California. We spent four years there. We lived in Simi Valley which it was called the other valley. San Fernando was over the mountains from us where Burbank and all the really important people live. And on January 17th in 1994, at 4.30 in the morning, Greg and I experienced what everybody had been telling us was coming, the big one. It was the Northwich earthquake. Now I'd experienced earthquakes and I remember asking my friends, how will I know when it's the big one? That's exactly what they did. They laughed at me, you're just gonna know. So I should have asked them about more preparedness, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But in that moment, I literally, and I'm not exaggerating, I was thrown out of the bed. The things were crashing all over our house. Things were falling down. I I couldn't even believe I'm looking at my hundred and whatever pound husband. (laughs) I'm not gonna say. Um, He's just like flying across the room. And I'm like, we, this is it. Like, this is really it. And so we're instinctively running to the kids' bedrooms, not what you're supposed to do, running to get them because that's just what parents do. And we go in there, and their room is in shambles. Everything that was in their closets have flown out. We were not very earthquake prepared, I'm just going to tell you. They were asleep. We scared them to death when we woke them up to be scared because the earthquake was happening. We got them out of bed, and we came, and we huddled in the hallway. Yeah, you California people know. Um, Because that's what we did in Texas when we had a tornado and we're in the hallway thinking, okay, what do we do now? We don't have a flashlight. It's 4.30 in the morning. We're in our jammies. Greg makes his way to the other side of the house to try to find a flashlight when the aftershock comes. 
which is basically another earthquake that's just as bad. And I literally, Brooke was not even three, and I held her in between my legs in the hallway to keep her from flying around, not lying. And I'm like, okay, Greg's on, now he's left me with these children, and I'm thinking of how I'm gonna raise them by myself. It's amazing what you think of in millisecond. He finally makes us, we, we, we pull on some clothes and we, cr we go across all the crushed glass, huge pieces of furniture are, are I mean, our house is, it's like King Kong took our house and shook it up. That's exactly what it looked like. And we walk by our goldfish bowl that had Barney and Baby Bop, appropriately Brooks goldfish. Fortunately, it was dark and she didn't see that they did not survive the earthquake. We make our way outside and our neighbors are all in our driveway going, where have you been? What are you thinking? I was like, well, we were huddled in the hallway protecting ourselves, and they said that they just couldn't believe that we were not that smart let's just put it that way because the safest place was not huddled in the hallway um, Greg proceeded to take a job up here a week later you're not supposed to make major decisions after a natural disaster but we did and he left me with the children to ride the aftershocks out for six weeks where you literally shook every night, every day for six weeks. And I really got the full California experience. And then we loaded up the moving van and came to Seattle, the rest is history. But the things that we thought were immovable, I mean, things, we grew, the, um, in California, you have cinder block fences are very popular. And when you would go in our backyard, you could see 20 houses down because they were demolished in the earthquake. The, these things that you think, this is our fortress, this is our home, how is it moved? Now, you may think, what in the world does that have to do with Psalm 62? Well, I would offer to you that when this Psalm was written, most people agree the time that it was written, David was experiencing a proverbial earthquake of his own. You see, his son, Absalom, had murdered one of his other sons. And then he was proceeding to try to take over the throne and even take the life of his own dad. He was deceiving and, and the, David couldn't even trust the people around him. He, things that he thought were normal, your family, your sons began to be uncertain. In 2 Samuel 15, which coincides with this psalm, it says that David goes up to the Mount of Olives and he is weeping and grieving. Can you imagine the grief on that father's heart? Now, I think if I would have written a song, I think it probably would have been a country and Western song. It would have had some lament, like Kevin talked about last week, or some prayer to God, but this one didn't. It was a proclamation of who God is, and it inspires me that when his situation was so unsteady, he was steady in his faith, and we can learn from this psalm. The commentator H.C. Leopold says this about Psalm 62. There is scarcely another psalm that reveals such an absolute and undisturbed peace in which confidence in God is completely unshaken, in which assurance is so strong that not even one single petition in this psalm is voiced throughout. It's amazing, an unwavering security and strength. So let's read this psalm, and then let's, I want you to frame it in your life of how we can have that same 
unshakable faith that David had. So if you'll take your Bible, turn to, to Psalm 62. If you have your Bible app, you can open it up there and even pull up the notes. If you go um, on the Bible app and go to High Point, go to the events, um, you can pull up the notes already on there for you. Read with me in Psalm 62, this song that was written for the choir director for congregational singing. I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. How long will you threaten a man with all, will all of you attack as if he was a leaning wall or a tottering stone fence? They only plan to bring him down from his high position. They take pleasure in lying. They bless with their mouths, but they curse inwardly. Rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. Again, I will not be shaken. My salvation and glory depends on God, my solid, strong rock. My refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. He starts to talk to the congregation. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. Men are only a vapor, exalted men an illusion. Weighed in the scales, they go up. Together, they are like a, a piece of vapor. Place no trust in the oppression of false hope and robbery and wealth increases. Pay no attention to it. God has spoken once. I've heard it twice. Strength belongs to God and faithful love belongs to you, Lord, for you repay each according to his works. I want you to think of today, whatever earthquake of sorts that you have going on in your life. And if you're not experiencing it right now, you know that you either just have or you will. What is shaking your comfort? What is shaking your theology today? Is it a job uncertainty or a lack of a promotion or a lack of a job? Is it the place you are in your spiritual walk that you're feeling frustrated with God right now? Is it maybe um, a child that is not walking with God right now that you're burdened for? Maybe you're in a load of debt and you don't know how to get out of it. And there's some financial chaos and uncertainty. Maybe you have a health challenge that is overwhelming you or a recent diagnosis that you can't quite get your head around. Maybe you're walking through the agony of grief today. Whatever that earthquake, that shaking, that something that shakes the very core of us, I want you to just frame the message with that today and let everything just kind of go under it so you can see how it might apply to you. We find out what we're made of in the midst of our struggle. We find out what we cling to, and this psalm testifies to what David cling to. So how do we trust? How does our trust remain unshakable in the midst of life's turbulence, for lack of a better word? I'm glad that you asked, because we're going to talk about that. The first is that preparation really comes before the challenge of faith. Now, my, our earthquake experience is a great illustration. We were unprepared. We were prepared for a tornado, which, which what we learned in Texas was to, you know, cover and all the things. I don't even think we remembered that very well. But we didn't have anything prepared. Our, our furniture wasn't locked down. We, and that's why we had such a mess. We didn't have our supply in the garage. We didn't know what to do. We didn't know that you weren't supposed to try to get places. That's how you break toes like I did and things like that. We were not prepared for the earthquake in any shape or form. We didn't know what to cling to. We had no idea whether safety was outside. We were clinging to everything else but what we should have. 
our circumstance reveals what is already there. I think about this in, when I think about piano. When I took piano lessons, my mom taught me, and I hated theory. Uh, for those of you musicians, I despised it. I didn't like scales and chord structure, all the things that my mom would make me do. And you're probably making your kids do, you parents. Like you're listening to the scales every day. And I would tell my mom, this is so dumb. I really did this. Mom, this is so dumb. I just want to play music. And she'd say, this is foundational to what you're going to need to do. You have to learn. Go practice your skill. Okay. And I will tell you that today, I won't, I won't entertain you, but I could go over there and it's like muscle memory to me, playing scales and chord structure because it was instilled in me. It was made, I, I was made to do it. And here's what it, it helps when I'm coming in a crisis, when I need to play a song or in college, when I needed to pay my phone bill because Greg and I were in different cities, I would go play a company um, voice students with the skill that I had learned from my mom so I could pay the bill that was back when you had long distance charges and all those things. But it basically became muscle memory. This would happen, this would be like a ground stroke in tennis or a um, free throw in, in, in basketball or a PK in soccer. I mean, it's just those things that you naturally do. Brad talked about this a couple of weeks ago when he, he spoke. He said that this is what needs to create our muscle memory. He challenged us to be in the word every day. And I tell you, when I pray for High Point, my prayer is that this is, we have this unwavering desire to be in this word every day because this is why David was so grounded. So we, that's, this is how we prepare ourselves for what is coming. We often look to the wrong places. We call a friend for advice or we look to the world instead of looking right here. David was prepared also from experience as a shepherd. Let's just say David and Goliath. I mean, he had seen God work miracles. He used those collectively to be prepared for something that he would have never wanted or wished on himself. But he, because he had walked through those times with purpose, because he had hid God's word in his heart, he was prepared. So I would ask you and challenge us to have earthquake preparedness in our heart. Secondly, rest comes from our submission or surrender to God's sovereignty. That's where the rest, when he says, I am at rest in God alone, that comes from surrender. It comes from a submission to God. The NIV actually says, truly, my soul finds rest. It like reiterates, I am at rest. But that doesn't mean not doing anything. The Hebrew word, um, dumayah, is, it, it means silence but it's a quiet waiting, like an active waiting, an, an action of trust as you're waiting. Similar to in Psalm 46, 10, where the psalmist says, stop fighting and know that I am God. He's saying, stop wrestling, stop trying to do everything yourself and, and, and rest, actively rest in our faith, rest. When the Israelites waited at the Red Sea, you remember they came out of Egypt, God, they watched God do all the miracles and they came to the Red Sea and the, the Egyptians are behind them and they're in this kind of cul-de-sac. They're stuck and they're looking back there. And what did they do? They pled to Moses to go back to slavery. Oh my goodness, at least we had food there. Like they were whining 
even after they saw God do what they did because they weren't surrendered to God. And this is what Moses told them in Exodus chapter 14. He said, don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation. This is not salvation through Jesus. This is salvation as in deliverance. He will provide for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, won't, you won't see them again. The Lord will fight for you. You must be quiet. You must be at rest. Your soul must be surrendered. And as you read this psalm, there is a resolve in David's tone that he is resolved to who God is. The Israelites were encouraged to rest and let the Lord fight for them. Do you ever try to fight your battles yourself? I certainly do. Because the surrender thing is a hard pill to swallow sometimes. Try resting and controlling at the same time. You, you, you can't do it. It's like, I'm going to put one foot on a firm foundation, but I'm still going to do my own thing. You, you can't really, you can't take a nap and be awake at the same time. Although Greg tries that often. When facing calamity, David, he finds rest that's only afforded by God. Not from taking a nap or from rest from his body, but rest in his soul. So this unshakable thing, we, we want to be prepared. We want to be surrendered in a place that puts us at rest. But also the security that David is talking about is found in truth not in circumstances or feelings. It's that security that he talks about is from truth. When I was growing up, we did not have a household that we didn't hug a lot. We didn't say, I love you. I, my parents don't like me saying, well, they didn't when they were alive, but I don't think that we ever said it. Um, maybe I just remember it wrong, but it just, that just wasn't our, the culture of our home. But I will tell you that I always felt secure. I felt safe in my house. Now, my dad was the chief of police, so that might have had something to do with it. But I, even though my dad didn't talk about his love for me, I felt I knew that I was going to be taken care of. I knew that he was going to provide for me. He might not get me the jeans that I wanted, but that I would always have clothes on my back. I would always have, I felt secure. When I would go home, I felt like this is a safe place. That's the kind of security that he's talking about. Emotions and circumstance, they toss us about. But the, the place like I think about at home, that's where your security is. That's what God, that's what David is talking about that we can find in God. And he, and he describes it a couple ways. He said he's our rock, our salvation. He talks about a refuge. He talks about a fortress. This rock was, it was very relatable in those days because there were lots of cliffs and caves and mountain crevices in the Bible times. And they used them to hide um, when they were hunting, when they were running. David knew all of them, I'm sure, as he was running from Saul. So when, when we said that God is the rock, David declares he's my strong rock. He's my refuge. Now, like I said, in the Old Testament times, uh, salvation was more about deliverance or saving from a situation. It wasn't till later on in scripture that that was connected with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that you and I get to experience through the gospel. But this rock, this rock of salvation, um, many psalmists refer um, to the rock, and it's something that's so relatable. And I think about it as we look up at the mountains, you know, God, it's something that's solid. It's something that's secure that would not 
that would survive an earthquake of sorts. He also talks about God being a fortress. God is a fortress. Greg and I thought that our house was a fortress. I mean, it, was, it wasn't anything fancy. It was a stucco home like they all are. But it, 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 it completely rocked our mind, way of thinking when things that we thought were settled and instead something we thought was a fortress was not God's fortress isn't like that. It's unshakable. It's immovable. Many cities in the Bible times had walls all the way around them to, to guard them against their enemies. They used it in war times. It was very common for there to be a, a fortress around. And God is saying, I'm surrounding you. I am the fortress. He also says that I'm the refuge. It's a place that people can go to. That's where I would call my home, the security that I felt at home. It was a refuge. It was a place to go. I, I would pray that our homes as parents would be that, right? That it would be a refuge. It would be, it would be a help. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. After the earthquake, outside became my refuge. Because I learned that things don't shake and fall down outside. I, being the, you know, transplant I was, I kept putting lamps back on tables. And I, every week I would bust another piece of furniture. And my friends were like, stop putting things back up. It's still shaking. It's not stable. But I could go outside and you couldn't. It didn't, sh- it didn't feel the same outside. So it became, it became my refuge, my safe, safe place. During the earthquake months, um, Psalm 91 was, I call it my earthquake psalm even today. The one who lives under the protection of the Most High dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. I love that. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Later on in verse 5, it says, I will not fear the terror of the night. And this is what I did all riding out those aftershocks when Greg was up here safe in Seattle and I was riding the earthquakes with my two kids. I'm not bitter or anything. And I would just be like, I do not fear. I will not fear the terror of the night. I will not fear it. Those, this, this psalm came to life for me because I, God was the only thing that was secure and solid. I learned so much about God as a refuge during that time. When's the last time that you sensed that safety and that refuge in God. So this unshakable thing, that, that preparation, that, that rest, the security, the refuge, the fortress, but also he talks about the enemies too. If, if, if you're a musician and you look at this Psalm, it's kind of like chorus, verse, chorus, verse, bridge, and then I would call it a coda ending. It's like an alternate ending. But here he's talking of, this is the bridge part. This is where he's saying, let me tell you what we're up against. Let's talk a little bit about the enemy. So we combat enemies and worldly distractions with wisdom and smart weapons. This is what he's saying. After David proclaims the power and the strength, he shifts gears in verse 3 and says, How long will you threaten a man? Will all of you attack as if you were a leaning wall or a tottering fence? He all of a sudden just stops and says, Wait a minute. I'm, and he starts talking like directly to his enemies. Now this may sound weird. But have you ever talked to the ref during a game? Me, never. Just like Friday night or something like that. We, we, we say, what are you thinking, right? Or when somebody cuts us off as we're trying to pull in, we're like, what are you talking about? 
We talk to our enemies when we get that bill that we don't know how to pay. We maybe talk in frustration to it. This is what David is saying. How long are you going to keep this up? What are you doing? He shakes his fist as the enemies and almost taunts them in a sense. He is commanding that his soul be, is quiet. He talks about our greatest weapon. This is, this is in our mind and the way we're thinking. This is what we're learning from David here. And Kevin talked about this in his series a few months ago when he talked about the mind. So much of our thinking um, and how we combat the distractions of the world and the enemy is happening right here. It's by what is truth and how we're applying it. David trusts in God alone. In, in verse 5, he adds alone to God, rest in God alone. He's reiterated that this is the only one I can trust in. And he's telling, it's almost like he's pumping himself up that here's what the enemies are doing, but I will rest in God alone. It's what I was doing those nights saying scripture in my head. I'm trying to claim the truth in God alone. You can't trust by straddling and saying, I'm going to trust in God alone, but I'm going to trust in my bank account. Or I'm going to trust in God alone, but I need to talk to my friends and know what's going on. I'm going to trust in God alone, but I got to watch what the economy's doing. How's that working for you? When we say we trust in God alone, we just, we get tossed about by what the world, how the world is pulling us with their distractions. And David is saying, when he says God alone, he means God alone. That's where the rest comes from. It's because he trusts and he surrendered to that. In verse 9 and 10, he's also talking to the enemies and, and he's saying, he's describing them. Men are like a vapor, exalted men, an illusion. He's saying, if you put it on the scales, you know, like wealth and, and, and the importance of men, and you put God on the other side, he said they would be like a vapor. They would like fly off the scale because they're nothing. He's saying, when you look at your enemies that feel so big in the circumstance that feels so crushing, when you put God on the other side of the, of the scale and you say God alone, those things fly in the air. I love that word picture. When we're wrapped up in a circumstance, and I've been there, where you just are, are having trouble even grasping for those truths. When God is on the other side and he alone is our rescue and our refuge, there is nothing, no matter how bad the economy gets, no matter who is the president, no matter what kind of political unrest is going on, it will not have any weight on that scale. Amen? There's no weight on that. And we overestimate our enemies in light of God too many times. And when we do that, when we get wrapped up in that moment, and I've had those a year and a half ago when I was um, laying in critical care looking at doing a, a second surgery, I, I couldn't have anybody in the hospital room. And I'm, 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 it's me and the surgeon and the nurse and my family on speakerphone. And I'm like, God, what in the world? Why am I... Why am I here? And for a moment, I, I, I really struggled with how, how is this terrible thing happening to me? And here's what that revealed in that moment is that there was a little leak in my theology in that moment. Because when I start to worry or started to fret about what would happen, it's because I didn't believe that God is good. 
In that moment, I wasn't standing firm that God was faithful, that God was the healer. God was in control. He was, his sovereignty outweighed anything I was going through. So sometimes we have momentary leaks in our theology or some spiritual amnesia for a moment. I don't think those will ever go away on this side of eternity, but we need to acknowledge those and be ready. He's saying, fight with the weapons that you have. Recognize those. And, and because I had those, I was able, because I had scripture in my heart, I was able to correct that and be able to, to, to rest in who God is. Lastly, we have to remember that God's promises are what help us stay firm. It's like at the very end of the psalm, it's uh, like I said, if you're a musician, this is like an alternate ending. Like he, he said, I'm gonna, I want to punctuate this in case you didn't get the summation. I'm going to tell you that God has spoken once. I've heard twice. This is poetic where this doesn't necessarily mean literally once and twice. It just means that God made it very real to him. Strength belongs to God, and faithful love belongs to you, Lord. So the two things he's saying I want you to I want to drive home is that God is strong and God is loving. And that we have to remember power belongs to God. Think about the scales. He's saying, remember. Everything you're going through, even my own son who killed his brother and is now trying to kill me and take over the kingdom of God. And by the way, take Israel back to idol worship. If all of that is going on, on the scale, God is still stronger. And even when that feels like such an awful circumstance, God is still loving. He said, I want you to remember he is strong and he is loving. And anything that you're going through has to be filtered through that. Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous for the Lord your God is with you. Um, Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians that God's strength is perfected in our weakness. We have to remember his strength. No matter how free how, or how we feel, we may not feel like God is loving. Our circumstances may not feel like God is sovereign. It might not feel like he's even present or our fortress, but we can't rely on that because God's word tells us he not only is loving, but he in his very nature is love. That's why in Matthew 11, Jesus invites us, come to me. All you who labor and are weary, I will give you rest. I will give you a quiet spirit. I will give you a surrendered soul. Take my yoke upon you. It's where that strength comes in. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy and my burden is light because he's on the scale. We have to remember power belongs to God, and his love will never, never fail us. David had an unshakable trust in God. When I read this psalm, it's, it's like... Um, there's this picture of strength, but also gentleness all at the same time. And he paints it for us. He writes it as a song for the congregation to sing because he knew that we needed to say those words again. We need to sing those words again. I wonder what the melody sounded like. 
Maybe in heaven uh, we will get to sing this song and hear what the drums do and what, I, what, what all the instruments do, where the melody takes us. In verse 8, he tells, he, he, he turns to the people and says, trust in him at all times. He's talking to himself. He's talking to the enemies. And in verse 8, he's, he's, he's reminding the congregation, trust him. He's saying, trust him at all times. Pour out your heart before him because he is our refuge. That is what it means to be unshakable, immovable kind of faith. That early morning in 1994 was by far one of the scariest moments of my life. It was really probably the only time that I, well, besides being in the hospital, that I thought, like, I, this could be it. Like, this, this, this could be it. And, and um, it, it, was, it was a scary, scary moment. <laughs> so scary that my dad literally was about to rent a U-Haul and come move me back to Texas. Not even like, I was like, well, you know, Dad, I'm, kind of, I'm married. <laughs> I have a family. But he was so, it scared my family so much because they watching on the news. This is before cell phones. Nobody could get a hold of us. There was this, it was isolated. It was scary. But in those moments, it, it really serves as a metaphor for my life in a lot of ways. When circumstantially, I've been in the same place. Circumstantially, I've let myself be tossed about by circumstance, disappointment, as Kevin talked about last week, the disappointment that unattended to can become depression. I can let myself get shaken up by things that really shouldn't surprise me. With my eyes on the challenge, there, the, 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 there doesn't seem to be hope. And with eyes on myself, there's no power equal to the task. But when I look to God alone, the power of the storm recedes. Because my lack of power and inadequacy is swallowed up in his complete adequacy. When I pause to see, I then can become unshakable because I am relying and submitting, surrendering to him. And could that be so for all of us today? Would you pray with me? God, I am so humbled to even teach your word, God, because it is such a privilege, but to speak your word and to speak these words that were breathed from you, God, that you breathed into life through the pen of David. God, may they come alive for us. May they not just be words that we print, that are printed on the page that we read through in a short, quiet time with God, but they would be in our heart in a way that leaves us unshakable, God, that, that mounts us in a place that we are not tossed about. God, we know that that is your hope, is for us to be trusting in God alone. And that is our prayer today. It's in your name I pray. Amen. I want you to think about a few things this week to reflect on. A few questions. One, how can you better be prepared for the storm? Because remember, all that preparation time happened before it happened. How, what do you need to do? Do you need to read your Bible more, being prayer more, being in community? What do you need to do to be more prepared? Um, what truth do you need to strengthen for your unshakable God as a refuge, as a fortress, as, as, as lovable, as unmovable? What do you need to strengthen to where you can 
tap into it. And lastly, what step of surrender do you need to rest in God? The, remember, the rest comes from surrender. What do you need to surrender to experience that rest? And as you think about that, um, Kevin and I will be down front. We just want to leave some time that if you would like some prayer, if you would like to come pray with one of us, or if you want to pray with somebody at your seat, I just want this moment to just stay as you think about where am I in this shakable faith? Where, where am I in that? And what you might need prayer for, what you might, maybe you just need to, to just kneel right where you are and, and talk to God about it. But just take a moment um, to, to do that for me.